Welcome to the Manual Focus Podcast. I am your host, Michael Amsel, and you are listening to the first official episode of the podcast. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for taking the time to click on the show and uh, begin listening. Today in the first ever episode, I interview Mark Steiner, who is an up-and-coming YouTuber uh, who has a channel based all around uh, tech, cameras, basically the whole deal. And he's a really awesome guy that uh, unfortunately I've never been able to meet in person due to uh, just the pandemic and everything that's going on right now. But this is our first ever conversation that we've ever had actually. And it's kind of cool that it's recorded for uh, for everybody to listen to. And uh, I will say this, this is my first episode ever. And I can already tell you after I've edited uh, this this episode, this is certainly not my best work, both as an interviewer and just as a conductor of the entire podcast. My microphone kind of went in and out throughout the whole thing. And I, you know, of course, didn't realize that until after the fact. So uh, please stick with me. Uh, I promise you they're going to get better uh, from here on out. I've got about five other ones uh, that I'm currently editing right now. And trust me, uh, they all sound a heck of a lot better than this one. But nonetheless, I think you'll really enjoy the interview with Mark. Go ahead and follow him both on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. I'll leave all of his social details in the description below. But uh, with that all being said and done, welcome to the show. It's kind of funny because this is literally our first conversation ever being recorded. Yes, yes. <laughs> and it's kind of cool. Meeting like, a complete stranger, but it's great to have that conversation. <laughs> it just break the ice. Yeah, no kidding, man. Which, I mean, that's kind of why I love podcasts too. Um, you know, it's just because it's a long form piece of content. I don't know. I just always feel like it's a little bit more raw real kind of unpolished than like a youtube video or you know something else so it's about as no, real I, as i totally getting. agree yeah no it's much more candid it's much more you get to know someone you know like oh, my goal at the end of every podcast is to try and become friends with someone especially if i don't really know them beforehand right. you know i think having that relationship at the end of the episode is ideal yeah man and yeah i completely agree and uh seriously I will say it a few more times, but seriously, man, I really, really appreciate you uh, taking taking the time. Yeah, so. no problem. It's it's my pleasure. Cool, cool. Well, I uh, I don't have a name, but I do have an opening segment that I'm calling Shutter right. Speed, and basically, go for it. I'm just gonna ask you about ten questions here. I'm gonna give you one choice right. or the other, and I don't even want you thinking about it. I don't want you to give me an explanation. I just want you to answer this one or that one, pretty much. All right. All right. All right. Shutter. All right, let's do it. Okay. Number one, photo or video? Video. Canon or Sony? Sony. United States or overseas? Overseas. Instagram, Twitter? Twitter. Instagram, YouTube? YouTube. Mac or PC? Mac. Sony or Bose? Sony. Film or digital? Digital. Sunset or sunrise? Ooh, sunset. Sunset, nice. Uh, manual focus or autofocus? Autofocus. 
All right, dude, 10 questions. That was literally like 30 seconds. Nice job. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so. Oh, they were pretty easy questions. Yeah, right. Um, Twitter, that's that's your thing, huh? Uh, I would mm, I would say YouTube is my thing. But, I, you know, I, I just, as someone who started out on Instagram, right, you, you see how it's f- greatly declined since Facebook took it over. Yeah. And it's really depressing to see how, you know, when I first started, I was getting hundreds, not hundreds, thousands of likes per post. You get between like 900 to like 5,000 likes. And I'm like, dang, like I wasn't even that great of a photographer back then. But clearly more people were seeing my work and the growth was exponential. And then you see nowadays that, you know, I'm posting some of my best work, arguably, and maybe 200 to 500 people see it at best and it's just like this application is dead you know like if no one's going to see my work why am i going to continue using it um and that's i think it was around 2018 that i started looking into twitter uh because i'd used twitter when i went to college because all my college friends use twitter um but it was never really my thing and so I kind of just started using it a little bit more and I, I made some connections with a couple of photographers and they really introduced me to the photography community. And that's what I love about Twitter is that you actually have a sense of community. You have these people that you actually get to know and become friends with and you get to share each other's work and you, you constantly see everyone's work on the timeline and you get to your your eyes see new people that you don't even follow. So that's what I love about Twitter is that there's this sense of community that you never never experienced on instagram and uh, the growth potential is much higher Mm. man that's really interesting because i can totally relate to yeah just the frustration with instagram but i Mm. so i have a twitter but i haven't been on in probably like 10 years i'd say or close to it um yeah but yeah i sometimes man i'm like on instagram i'm like wait I don't even know who this person is. I didn't even realize yeah. that I was following this person, but I guess they're yeah. having freaking burritos for dinner. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Mark, before we get kind of too deep into it, man, uh, why don't mm. you just kind of give me a little, not only myself, but everybody else, um, give us an introduction to who you are, kind of what you do. Um, and I'll feed you some questions along the way, but yeah, just take it away, man. All right. Well, my name is Mark Steiner. I'm a 20-year-old, 25-year-old, dang, I'm old, 25-year-old <laughs> photographer and videographer uh, and YouTuber. Um, I was born in Canada, raised in Hong Kong, lived in the U.S. for seven years. Um, I'm, I'm saying lived as in past tense because I'm currently in Hong Kong unexpectedly and my stay is to be determined because I don't know when the situation in the U.S. is getting better. So right. I guess I technically live back here right now, although it feels weird to say. Um, yeah, I. <laughs> what else? What? Yeah, yeah that's how, me. How you know, <laughs> in, in Hong Kong for. Well, so I like I said, I grew up in Hong Kong. So we moved to mainland China when I was four and then we moved to Hong Kong when I was five a year later. And the plan was to stay two years and then two turned into four, four turned into six, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, we'd been in Asia 14 years and I was graduating high school. And so Hong Kong is home for me, you know, like Hong Kong is where the majority of my life has been spent and the culture I was raised on. 
And uh, so I, I came back because the thing with Hong Kong is like every three years you need to enter the country in order to keep your Hong Kong permanent residency status. And my three years was coming up because the last time I visited was um, 2017. And I'm like, all right, you know, I we're traveling during a pandemic isn't ideal, but this keeping this idea is a big deal to me and I get to see my dad. So that's a huge win. Um, so the tough decision was made to fly to Hong Kong um, in June in a pandemic. And that was super scary. Uh, but I, you know, I landed, I quarantined, everything went well. I kept my Hong Kong permanent residency. I got to see my dad. The plan was to be here like two to four weeks and now it's been six and a half months. Wow. So, that's, um, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when your family then came over to, to Hong Kong, was that because of your, or to, to China, was that because of your parents' work or what, what brought you guys over in the first place? No. Okay. So my parents uh, are very diverse. My dad's half Swiss, half Persian, and my mom uh, grew up in Puerto Rico. And so very internationally minded individuals who wanted to give their kids an international upbringing. And uh, like I said, the plan was to just do two years and then right. move somewhere else. But, you know, clearly my mom was, was big on giving the, the kids an Asian upbringing um, experience, that other side of life. And we traveled a lot while we were here. You know, I, I was very blessed and fortunate enough to travel to every continent save South America and Antarctica. So I've, I've seen a lot of the world. And, you know, when you're young, you don't always want to travel. You just right. want to stay home and play yeah. video games. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of took that for granted. But in hindsight, I was like, wow, my parents knew what, what they were doing. And I, they gave me so many opportunities that even at a young age, I could not appreciate. So, yeah. Wow. Well, that's man, that is that is so cool. And, you know, I didn't necessarily necessarily even have this in my notes. But um, given the fact that you are currently residing there and mm. we don't know for <laughs> how much longer that's going to be. Um, mm. Why don't you tell me uh, maybe some. I don't know if misconceptions are the are the is the right word, but maybe tell me something about China, Hong Kong specifically that uh, somebody like myself who lives in the United States maybe doesn't know or, again, has a misconception of. Well, I think the first thing I want to state is that too many of my American friends that think that Hong Kong is part of Japan, which it isn't. Um, so, yes, it's. It's a, uh, it's, 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 so Hong Kong has its own thing, right? Like I like to kind of relate Hong Kong's relationship with China um, to Puerto Rico's relationship with the U.S., right? Like it's technically part of the U.S., but it's its own entity. And Hong Kong has the one country, two systems policy. So it's like we are an autonomous government, but we are recognized as part of China. Like it's, it's a whole thing. And especially right. now those waters are murkier than ever, but I don't right. really want to get into that. Yeah, yeah, no worries. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I'd say for most people who have no conception about Hong Kong, uh, it's like an Asian New York, you know, this big bustling city, this massive, like get to point A to point B, um, the best public transportation system in the world. And everyone is just very hustle business minded. Like no one is going to like help you for directions on the street. Like people are just trying to get from point A to point B as fast as humanly possible. No one holds doors, no nothing. There's like no manners that way. It's very just like mm. do your own thing, ignore everything else, keep going. Yeah. So very, very New York-esque then. Yeah, exactly. So do you live in the... I guess, downtown region of Hong Kong? Or are you more outside or? So when I was growing up here, I lived on the most densely populated place on the planet um, in Aberdeen. Uh, so 
it wasn't downtown, but you know, there were a lot of people around, obviously. Uh, now, since my family moved to the U.S., my dad got a apartment on a one of the offlying islands called Llama Island, and it's much more underdeveloped, much more nature, um, getting away from that big city vibe, because he doesn't like it. I'm a huge fan, but I get that it can be overwhelming and overstimulating. So, um, do you have to take some sort of a ferry, I'm assuming, to get into the main city? Yes, yeah, okay. yeah. So, the main form of transportation into onto Hong Kong Island is a ferry. Got it. Because I'm looking at your Instagram right now, and I see a lot of just beautiful shots of the skyline, but looks like yes. they're taken from, I would assume, the ferry then? Most of them are actually taken from the pier, so I am okay. on solid land when taking them, but a couple of them are taken from uh, the moving boat, so that's kind of cool. Got it. That's super cool. Cool, man. Well, that's uh, that is really, really interesting. I doubt that I will be interviewing or talking to somebody who's <laughs> from from uh, from Hong Kong anytime soon. So that that's yeah. really, really rad. Um, so you said you're a filmmaker, photographer. Is that your full time job currently? Well, in this pandemic, yes. <laughs> I mean, it has been for a while. Um, it's just, you know, I don't when people say full time, right? Like they're, they're actually making enough income to sustain themselves. Sure. And I'm not, you know, I'm 100% very grateful to still, um, have support from my parents and that's how I'm able to do what I do. Um, I'm by no means self-sustaining at this point in time, but technically I am a full time, but it's, you know, with a massive asterisk. Yeah, sure. But that is, that is your, uh, your quote unquote job then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right on, right on. And is that mostly like freelance work? And we'll get into YouTube here in a bit. But is that um, outside of uh, what you do online? Is that is that mostly freelance work then? Or yeah, mostly freelance work. Like before the pandemic, I was known for my portraits mainly. So most of my clients would be models or beautiful women or people who wanted headshots, stuff like that. And that was you know my bread and butter. Um, I would dabble with weddings and whatnot. Uh, but portraits is my was my strong suit and what I was known for. What really got you started or interested in doing the whole photo video thing? Was that something you a passion that you've had since you were, you know, a child, or is that something that happened more? Well, recently? okay, like I like to say, this is like the best accident that ever happened. So the how how this okay how do where do I start when I was 10 years old um my dad knew that I loved YouTube and he was like Mark if you're ever serious about starting a YouTube channel I'll fund you and I was like eh, I don't know if I have the personality this seems kind of stressful and hard but I do love it but you know it's not something I'm super interested in and then uh I I was actually a journalism major in college mm -hmm. so my dream freshman year was to be a sideline ESPN reporter for the NBA and then I actually started uh, a separate YouTube channel with a friend of mine sophomore year because we both wanted to start a news channel, and but we were too scared to do it on our own. And so we started one, I think we made one, two or three episodes, something abysmally low, and it didn't work out because of scheduling and uh, I was I was putting more effort into this YouTube channel than my friend was, and it just wasn't working out. Uh, plus, I had no editing skills. I had no idea what we were doing. I was shooting everything on my phone and using iMovie. My, it was really bad. Like I had no idea what I was doing. So that ended, and I didn't give it a second thought. And then junior year comes along, and I'm doing all my higher level um, journalism classes for broadcast. So I'm out in the field actually shooting 
news packages and doing interviews and editing these videos. And I now have a very rudimentary sense of editing and how that works. And I remember, you know, I was shooting six to eight hours and editing eight to 12 hours all for this 30 second, two minute news package that I didn't give a crap about. No one else gave a crap about. And I was just absolutely miserable. I'm like, I'm doing all this work for something I'm not a fan of at all. No one else cares. Why am I using so much of my time and energy for something that makes me absolutely miserable. So I went to my professors and I was like, hey, uh, what can we do about this? And they were like, Mark, we're going to level with you realistically. When you graduate, you're going to be looking at a entry level job in a middle of nowhere town working the graveyard shift for eight to thirty thousand dollars a year. And in my head, that just made no sense to me. I'm like, why would I work a miserable job with miserable hours, no social life, no time for friends or family for something that uh, makes me miserable and for no money? Like it just didn't, it didn't compute with me. And you know, a lot of my friends at the time, they were like all about that hustle, all about that grind. You're not, oh, you know, do the journalism. You start at the rookie and you move your way up. And I'm just like, ah, this, this is just a, a L's across the board, you know, like I don't see any wins happening here. Um, and so this is when I approached my dad, I was like, Hey, remember 10 years ago when you said, uh, if I was interested in starting a YouTube channel, you'd fund me, is that offer still good? And he was a bit surprised, but he was like, yeah, you know, uh, that, that offer is still good. And I was like, cool. And he's like, I'll buy you a Sony Handycam. I'm like, nah, I need a DSLR. And he's like, oh, you bougie. Okay. He's like, my budget was 300 to 400. The camera you want, which was a Nikon D3300, by the way, red Nikon D3300. Um, he was like, this is $500. How about we split the difference? You buy, I'll buy the camera, you buy everything else. So I bought the lenses, the mics, the tripods, and he bought mm. the body. And I started making weekly YouTube videos um, on a completely different topic than what I currently do on my YouTube channel. But for me, it was more or less just like a creative escape from... And what was that topic? Sorry. Uh, that topic, so because I was a journalism major, I was doing more um, like tech and fun news that I found interesting. So so like try and imagine like a Philip DeFranco meets Marquez Brownlee, um, but more emphasis on the Philip DeFranco kind of part. Um, so that's what I was doing. And you know, it, it didn't get anywhere. We were getting between like 50 and 100 views per video um, channel, maybe had like 100 subscribers in a year, like going absolutely nowhere. But for me, it was the stepping stone I needed to get into YouTube and also this creative outlet that I looked forward to at the end of every week because I would shoot on weekends when I wasn't in class and I wasn't absolutely miserable. And it was a break from the journalism stuff that was just sucking life out of me. Yeah, no, I totally get that. So I'm kind of looking at some of your oldest videos, which I'm sure is going to make you cringe. <laughs> <laughs> I've archived a lot of the old videos, so you're not seeing the actual okay. old videos, but continue. Yeah, so I see that looks like maybe you got in somewhat of a little bit of a vlog phase. Is that true? Mm. Uh, well, you know, when you're watching constant YouTube, you know, you get inspiration from Casey Neistat and whatnot. And for me, I think... It was just experimenting and having fun and seeing what worked. And with the vlogs, you know, I learned different skills. I learned what slow motion was. I learned how to edit to the beat. I learned. So it's like, you know, I, I wouldn't really consider it a vlog phase. It was just there was no direction to the YouTube channel. And I was just doing whatever made me happy. And at that particular time, it so happened to be to be vlogs. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's I actually 
am like thinking back to my own kind of beginnings into YouTube and yeah, totally just kind of in this place where like, I don't really have any goals mm-hmm. or aspirations mm-hmm. and I'm certainly not thinking about money yeah. at all. You know, you're just kind of doing no, that's the thing. whatever, whatever makes you happy in the moment. Exactly. I love that. And I think that's the misconception that so many people have is like you get into YouTube for the money, for the clout. And it's like, no, you, you do not make money yep. for a long time. Like, like I remember what was it's like, uh, I think I hit like 8,000 subscribers a couple months ago. And one of my friends who had just started YouTube, he was like, Mark, how do you do it? You're growing so fast. Like, I just started. I'm not seeing any success. And I'm like, dude, it took me three years to hit a thousand subscribers. You know, like, that's what people don't understand. Like, this is this is a long game and people don't see instantaneous success and they're they're ready to give up because they keep comparing themselves to others. And I'm like, you know, I'm not doing it for the money. I'm not doing it for the fame. If it becomes a full-time job later on, great. But, you know, you have to do it because you love it. And that's what I keep telling people is, like, don't start YouTube for the hell of it. Like, do something that you genuinely love that has that longevity because that will ensure that you not only continue to do it but enjoy it and don't get burnt right. out. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, if you don't if you don't truly love what you're doing and there's not a lot of passion behind it, people can tell. And I think that's exactly. one thing that I, man, I so appreciate about your videos and how I kind of just found you. And, um, I, I can really tell that there is a lot of, um, excitement and passion behind your videos. And at the same point, I mean, we haven't met each other obviously, but at least from what I'm gathering on, on screen, um, it seems to be your true, you know, genuine, authentic self coming across, which I think is so huge. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. It's really funny meeting people who only know me through my digital persona when I finally meet them in person um, because they're like, you're exactly the same as you are online. And I'm like, I'm glad you say that. That's really nice because, (laughs) you know, like that's what I like. I want to be myself online. But, you know, when I'm a happy person surrounded by fellow creatives, of course, I'm going to be, you know, my best self like I am online. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, you, you mentioned that you hit 8K a couple months ago. Um, you also mm. just hit 10K a little couple, mm-hmm. maybe a couple days ago. A um, couple so con- weeks now, yeah. <laughs> weeks ago, okay, right on, right on. So yeah. congrats on that, Thank by you, the way. thank you. Yeah. Um, the first video, actually, that I saw of yours was mm-hmm. your video uh, comparing the Cine 4 profile to S-Log 2. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, and I was, dude, I, I loved it. And I remember, um, I could even pull it up now, but I remember at the time kind of scrolling through the comments too. And I just remember you had a lot of really positive feedback and kind of as I was, you know, getting ready to, to hang out with you tonight and talk to you, um, mm-hmm. started going through a lot more of your other videos as well. And that's mm-hmm. a constant thing that I keep seeing is that um, you have a lot of really, really good uh, interaction and feedback from your audience. Was that ever something that you were intentional about or tried to, uh, to the best of your ability plan on having, or is that just something that's just naturally happened? Like, I don't consider myself having a great, uh, (laughs) communication with, with the comment section. You know, I like, sure that it's nice when there are positive comments, but I feel like the videos that do well always have far more negative comments than positive. So I view the comment section as a whole, as kind of demoralizing (laughs) um but no I don't think I ever really thought about it that way you know like I 
you know, I'm a small channel. I am just very grateful anyone is watching my videos. So if someone comments, I want to respond and like have a conversation because these people took their time out of their day to watch my video, you know, like no one knows who I am. I'm not anyone special. And, you know, they not only watched the video, but then were moved enough to take time out of their day to write a comment. I'm going to respond to that. I think that's so sweet and cool, you know? So yeah, I think it's important to respond to people who actually enjoy your content. I think too too many people, like, they start getting views and they kind of forget. And I'm like, no, you know, <laughs> no one cares. These people, these people are showing you a, a smidgen of their attention. You might as well enjoy that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I don't know, I'm sometimes my brain kind of thinks in analytics and stats. Um, mm. And one thing that I've really kind of caught wind of and have been paying attention to a lot more closely over the last, you know, six months to a year has been um, mm -hmm. not so much in the quantity of views or subscribers, but almost in the quality. And I don't mean quality of people, mm. but, um, you know, not just somebody who subscribed to you because, oh, they randomly saw your video, but somebody who's actually truly mm -hmm. invested into you as a creator mm -hmm. and wants to be a part of your journey. Yeah. I'm, I'm reading one of your comments here from your, your 10 K, uh, uh, thank you video. And it's a, this, this person said, thank you for creating this community, man. I think that, I think that is such a powerful comment to, to hear from one of your subscribers that they view mm -hmm. your channel as a community. Yeah, no, that's, that's an odd thing for me to think because going back to your analytics, like I look at my analytics constantly, even, even, and even though we hit 10 K, um, only 3% of my viewership is actually subscribed. So, I don't consider myself having a community, you know, like it's the vast majority of people who are watching my content are not subscribed and are probably never going to watch another video again unless it so happens to be a tech product that I'm covering that shows up in their suggested. And they might be like, oh, I watched this guy two years ago when he did that one thing. Um, but, you know, I don't I don't at this point in time, I don't really consider myself having a community on the channel um, because, you know, I videos that aren't highly searchable probably get between 200 and 500 views so if that's you know that i guess that is a community and those are the people who are going to stick around and watch whatever i put out but you know it's a very small community and i don't really consider uh this this sense of community when i post you know like you see these bigger youtubers and like people actually care about them as a person and less about the content people I still view my channel as not being big enough for people to actually care about me yet. They're just there for the content and they don't care about me. I could be some rando talking head. They're just going to get the content they want and log off. And that's, I think, how I started making my videos because I know that most people don't give a crap about who I am as Mark Steiner. They're just there like, hey, he's covering these headphones. I want to see these headphones and I want the information as fast as possible because if he takes like a five minute intro about who he is and why he likes these headphones, we're going to log off and never care again. So, you know, I just I want to dive right into it to keep their attention, get that hook. And then they actually watch, you know, at least half the video. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Man, yeah. If people are watching half the video, that's that's actually that's that's amazing. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. So you say some of the videos that you that you make that aren't necessarily the searchable content get anywhere, you know, mm. between two and five hundred. Sometimes mm. I really like to think about those views truly as people. And if you have a room of, mm. you know, two to five hundred people, that's actually a really, really, uh, you know, packed space. And yeah. So, yeah. Um, 
I totally understand where you're coming from, but I, at the same point, I, I really think there is something really cool to know that there are several hundred people and, mm. you know, eventually soon to be thousand, but at this point, several <laughs> hundred people who genuinely care about what you're doing. And, um, you know, in the long run, those will be the people that kind of continue to help support either through just exactly. watching or, you know, financially speaking as well. So exactly, exactly. And I'm very grateful for those people. And I, like you said, like I do totally envision like it, numbers are so easy to let go over your head these days. You know, you see 10,000, you see a thousand and people are just like, Oh, you know, someone else is getting X amount higher than me. I don't really consider that a lot, but yeah, you know, you 200 to 500 people, that's like a large lecture hall. That's a, that's like that's not something to gawk at like if you held a uh w- w- gallery and 200 to 500 people showed up that would be a massive yeah, success you'd be stoked. You know? like, <laughs> exactly so it's important to think in terms of that that those people are actually real people and that these numbers are human they're not just analytics and i, I do like that right right um so judging by your your content here that I'm just looking at. Um, it looks maybe roughly about five or six months ago, uh, at least to my eyes, you made somewhat of a switch in your content and kind of moved more towards like less, less about picture profiles and now more into like the tech world, computers, headphones, etc. Um, is that kind of the space that you're living in right now? And do you enjoy making those kind of videos? Well, I enjoy making all the videos I make. It was just like, for me, the I never how do I want to describe this like for me that that Cine 4 versus um HLG video I think or S-Log2 video for me is like I got my brand new camera and I'm a massive tech nerd right so I want to know what the optimal settings for my camera that I'm going to be using for the foreseeable future are and I want to compare and contrast the differences and I know I'm not the only one who's interested in that and so that's why I made that video it wasn't really to be like oh i'm a huge sony fanboy it was like i want to genuinely see what the difference is and where i should use each picture profile in certain circumstances and does the higher dynamic range offset the a massive amount of color grading and whatnot i have to do to tweak it like it for me it was just like genuine curiosity and knowing other people had that same question so and then i i wouldn't say six months ago i think more recently um is when I started realizing that the niche of just pure photography, um, there's only so high you can go with that, you know? Like, you can be super successful in the community and maybe, you know, have 30 to 100,000 viewers, but those people are only coming to you for one thing and one thing only, and you're never really going to branch out of that to new subscribers that have other interests. You're only going to get fellow photographers. And as much as, you know, us creatives love to think that we own the world, there are only a finite amount of people in the world that actually give a crap about (laughs) photos and, (laughs) and the cameras we use. And um, you know, being a massive tech, I was, I was always a massive tech nerd growing up, right? Like I loved computers. I loved iPods. I loved iPhones. Like I just, any tech I could get a hand on, I would love to educate myself on. And so when I got into photography, my love for tech kind of was the perfect marriage because I could nerd out over something that allowed me to create, right? So that's, I think another reason why I love Sony cameras is because, you know, some people are like, oh, you know, Leica, the feel or Canon, those colors. But for me, since I'm a massive tech nerd, I see all the innovation Sony is doing. And I'm like, from a technical perspective, 
this is amazing. Like the color science, you could argue, is not the best, or ergonomics, not the best, but they shove so much tech into these cameras and I love that and that's my priority when it comes to buying something so I like the bleeding edge of tech and so I got to review these cameras that were on the bleeding edge I got to talk about lenses and and then uh you know being in Hong Kong I don't have access to all the lenses and stuff that I would usually rent and I'm realizing now that there's more money and there's more growth to be had in consumer tech, right? And that's something I love already. Like, I think the first video of mine that really went viral in this sense was um, mm -hmm. my MacBook Pro review. And I never yep. expected it to do numbers. Like, I thought it would get like 1,000 to 2,000 views. And this thing is now like my most watched video at like 178K or something like that. Um, and I think that was a real eye opener for me. I'm like, oh, clearly people are interested in this, but it didn't really hit me until I made, um, the other video that just popped off was my Sony versus AirPods max review. And that was the one that hit us, pushed us over 10,000 because so many people were interested in that. And I'm seeing, okay, there's clearly a trend. The videos that do numbers are the ones that people are most interested in, highly searched after, like no one's searching Sony a7R 3 35 millimeter they're searching Apple iMac you know like and you know I think it's important to grow that audience um and so you can bring in those people with consumer tech and then talk about camera tech and they're still like oh you know I kind of like this guy I like how he talks and whatnot and that's that where that community building comes in they're like all right you know I've watched x amount of tech videos from this guy let's see what he has to say about this camera that I wouldn't normally be interested in but I'm kind of curious to see what he has to say so it's you know looking at trends and seeing how things will help grow the channel bring in a different audience and then you can do other things with that larger audience like if you look at someone like peter mckinnon right very much in the photography niche when he started out but you know he made things so accessible to a, such a wide audience that's why so many people gravitated towards it and he just has a great personality too so people stick around for that but you know if you niche yourself down too much you're artificially putting a ceiling over your head yeah man that's that's such an interesting uh way to put it and strategy that you have because I would say that's almost been the kind of the the strategy that's been on replay, you know, all across YouTube is niche down, niche down, niche down, um, mm. which I do think there is certainly value in that, you know, giving your your audience uh, some level of expectation uh, for them to know what to expect from you mm -hmm. and, and whatnot. But at the same point, yeah, like you said, if you only make one type of video, if you only make Cine 4 comparisons, mm -hmm. then... Uh, yeah, you're, you're yeah. kind of casting your I guess you're limiting the size of your net, so to speak. Exactly. Exactly. That's really interesting. So, yeah, I see your MacBook Pro uh, six month later video just surpassed mm -hmm. your Amazon longboard video. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's awesome that that video also, yeah. you know, went viral. Um, was that yeah, something that, that you had <laughs> any plans of doing? No. So there's a funny story behind it. Like, uh, so I started longboarding in college again because of Casey Neistat. Mostly I was just so curious and he looked like he was having so much fun. So I was working tech support at my college and there's this longboard in the lost and found that had been there for a year and a half. And I, I asked my bosses, I was like, Hey, no one's claimed this for a year and a half. Is it cool if I take it? They're like, yeah, you could have claimed it like six months ago. I'm like, dang. All right. So over the summer, I learned how to longboard on that longboard and it was so much fun. Like I fell absolutely in love. 
and then that longboard, because it was used and rickety and old, it broke, and I was super bummed, so I just went on Amazon, found, like, the most affordable but decent-looking longboard mm. I could afford at the time, bought it, and I was like, yeah, what the hell, I'll make a video, it's gonna get, like, 10 views, and... Uh, I never in a million years expected this video to do any sort of numbers. And the thing was, too, it was a very um, slow pop-off. Like, the first, like, I want to say, like, three weeks, probably under a 1,000 views. Wow. And then just out of nowhere, just just ramps up. And I was like, what the heck is happening? That's insane, man. I, I think those are all, okay. I'm guessing, uh, not to put any sort of connotation on this but did you was there much effort involved in that video as well or was it kind of just like oh, i'll throw it together kind of thing i mean there was some effort you know i take joy and and pride in whatever i create but you know it wasn't like i need to put so much effort into this because this is the video that's going to make me pop off like i think with the the sony versus airpods max video i was like all right i'm one of the first in the world to make this comparison this needs to be the highest quality so people are impressed with the longboard video i was like you know i'm just going to do my usual thing and bring that same quality, but I wasn't like, all right, this needs to be like the highest quality production that I can make to bring in the viewers. It was just like, I'm, I have a new longboard. I'm going to make a video on it. Yeah, uh, that's <laughs> awesome. Um, speaking of your AirPods Max versus Sony headphone um, comparison. So mm -hmm. I, I watched that video and there were mm -hmm. several, you know, B-roll shots mm -hmm. of somebody actually filming you. Mm -hmm. um, so was that, uh, was that your dad or was that a, fr that, a friend of yours? Or That was my dad, yes. Dude, let's go, man. He's got some yeah. skills. <laughs> <laughs> well, it took a lot of takes to get there, but we got yeah. there. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Um, I saw in one of your, your videos, um, I believe it was the, the, uh, the video about what type of money small YouTubers can make. And mm. you had mentioned something about possibly having some sort of relationship with Sony. So when I hit a thousand subscribers, this media company that works very closely with Sony reached out and they were like, hey, we found your YouTube channel. We really like what you're doing. Um, we would love to let us know if we can help out in any way. And you know, I, my channel just hit a thousand. I was like over the moon that anyone <laughs> right, could acknowledge totally. that my channel existed, let alone someone with a connection to Sony. And I didn't know how to react. And I was just kind of like, oh, that's like, I, I initially was just going to be like, thanks. I really appreciate that. Have a good one. And my mom was like, no, ask for gear. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like, I'm such a small channel. I think it'd be rude to, to ask for something. But they said, let us know if we can do anything for you. And I was like, I was wondering if I could get some gear as well. And they're like, yeah, yeah, just let us know what gear you want. Wow. And uh, we'll send it out to you. You get to use it for two weeks. You send it back. And you'll make a video on it, and uh, yeah, I'm like dope. So that that one relationship really allowed me to grow the channel because I got to make all these lens reviews that I would have never otherwise been able to make because I can't afford to rent that kind of gear on a regular basis. <laughs> so that was a huge thing for me, and the fact that it happened at a thousand was I was so grateful for that. Um, so that was that's, pretty cool. man. That's actually really cool and something for people to possibly even look forward to not to say that that's going to happen to everybody when they hit a thousand yeah but that is yeah. that to me that almost springs a little bit of hope that you don't have to be oh, peter yeah. mckinnon to get reached out to oh no exactly that's the thing is like you just need that one video to find the right person and things will work out and it's really cool when that happens yeah dude that is that is so awesome and so is that a relationship that you are continuing right now 
Well, like I said, because I'm in Hong Kong, they don't uh, ship internationally, oh. so I have to be in the U.S. to take advantage of that relationship. And since I'm not, I, I can't get my hands on any lenses. That's another reason why I'm not able to really focus on that much photography content right now is because I'm not, I don't have access to the gear that I would have access to in the U.S. So that is very interesting. That's, okay. that's the thing. So, to, yeah. so that kind of um, helped spur your your change in content almost then. Yeah, no, that was a huge thing. I, I got to focus on, like I said, massive tech nerds. So I got to focus on these lenses I would never be able to afford and make reviews on these and see whether or not they were worth it. And I was surprised by some of the lenses, but most of the time I already knew what my opinion was sure, going in. Sure. And uh, I think the lens that I liked the most was probably the 20mm 1.8G. I didn't even... I saw what sony when they announced it and i was like this lens is so good i'm just gonna pre-order it and uh the the person at the the media company um reached out and they were like hey we already added you to the list but i saw that you already made an unboxing video so um nice, <laughs> clearly nice. you already have it i'm like yeah you know this this is the lens i knew this was a good lens right. so i bought it um so it's it's really funny to see how that works out that's awesome um so as I so I went to your uh, your website and mm. one thing that I noticed that you are doing that's I don't know if it's totally different but in the kind of mm. you know filmmaker creative space a little different is mm -hmm. that you're actually selling um, assets directly from your website as opposed to going through like uh, selfie or selfie or whatever it's called. Mm -hmm. um, what 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 kind of inspired that decision to kind of just host it yourself? Ah, uh, well, I think the biggest decision was money and and the fact that no one cares who I am. You know, like I already paid for my website. I already had my portfolio on there. And when I realized you could put assets on there, I'm like, this is a no brainer. Uh, if anyone does actually care, they're going to be coming to my website anyway. So might as well host it there. Like why pay a monthly or yearly fee for Sellify where I'm not even going to make my earnings back? <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah, I totally get that. Well, so speaking of, um, not that you have to get too crazy open or personal, mm. but are you finding, um, that people are interested in some of your assets? Yeah, it's, it's surprising. You know, it's, it's one of those things that is a very sporadic, random, uh, uh, what's it? Passive revenue stream, right? Like you kind of put it up there and, you know, every couple of months you get a notification. Someone brought your preset pack. And I'm like, oh, that just made my day. Thanks. Appreciate that. Like, that's that's nice. But that's uh, so cool. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's not like, oh, I constantly have this this massive stream. But, you know, it's better to put it out there and have eventually people pay for it because they actually like what you do and they can see the content in your YouTube videos and what you can actually achieve with that. But, you know, no, I'm not big enough for anyone to actually care about me, like I said. And, um, you know, I think it's just important to have it there. And it's really interesting, too, because with both my presets and my prints, um, it was really interesting back in the day where Instagram was bigger. Um, people would constantly say, like, I want prints, I want presets, I want all this. And there was such a high demand for it when like by asking for it i'm like finally i just got around to doing it expecting people all these people who'd said they've been wanting it for forever to actually go and buy them and crickets you know like i think it's important to remember that just because people are asking for it doesn't mean they're actually going to partake of it and so um it's it was like it, it was a hard lesson to learn at the beginning 
um, because people were constantly asking. I'm like, okay, I finally did it. Are you going to do it? And nothing. And I'm like, all right, well, it's out there. You you finally forced me to, to lay the groundwork and input this. So it's there. I'm glad that you forced me to do it. And now I have it all set up and it's self-sufficient. So, yeah. No, that's awesome. And I'm looking at your print, your print shop right now. Um, mm. These, these photos are amazing, man. I look like, it looks like I'm scrolling through Unsplash right now. Um, but so one thing that I've noticed, not only with your photos, but also your video as well, is that you definitely have a very consistent look. Um, I would call it, you know, somewhat contrasty, but very punchy. You yeah. have that nice kind definitely of faded look to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I freaking love that, man. Um, <laughs> well, is that something you. that you uh, kind of stumbled into and just were like, oh, I like how this looks and then developed it over time? Or kind of how did that come about? I don't know, man. Like, I, I've had this debate with quite a few friends of mine, right? Like, and I've always found myself leaning towards warmer tones and vibrant colors. And I think that's just, you know, I, I'm attracted to that. But I was curious to see if the warmer tones come from living in Arizona for the past couple of years. Because, you know, we live in the desert. Everything is warm. There's no real, like, cool, moody tones there. Like, it's a lot of red rock, a lot of sand, a lot of sun. And so, you know, my edits tended to lean on the warmer side because that's the environment I was in. And uh, I was curious to see whether or not that was because of the environment I was in or because of a personal preference. And I think it's a bit of both, you know, like I prefer my images looking warmer and whatnot. Um, and then, you know, I was always a huge fan of like the massive raised shadow fade. And I yeah, kind of overdid sure. that when I first started photography. Um, as did everybody yeah exactly you're like oh this looks so good just like raise right. that curve ridiculously <laughs> yeah. high and uh as i got better i'm like all right this is this is a very amateurish look but i still like that little bit of raise so you, you kind of just like take what you have learned and whatnot and you kind of refine it and it becomes this thing and yeah i guess you know you grow into the look but you're constantly tweaking it and right now with my videos since i'm in a completely different environment than usual and i have a completely different setup i'm now using the sony a7s3 and i'm trying to use davinci resolve so the color setup is completely different so that is going to be a challenge for me to get a look that i'm super happy with because right now like yes i'm still doing some color grading that i'm like happy with but it's not it doesn't feel like the old color look to me so i want to refine it more and learn better and i think that's the thing is like i love learning about how to because when i started photography right i had my nikon d3300 and i kept looking at all these photographers who had thousands of dollars of gear and i'm like how do i compete with them and i'm like well first off i can't afford a 1dx mark ii you know so let's look at this realistically how do i bridge the gap and for me that was through editing so i was just learned like absorbing all of this information on youtube university um and my edits just uh got better astronomically exponentially fast because i was just learning so much in such a short period of time and i'm like all right this is how you do skin retouching this is how color interacts like you know when i initially started it was just like slide the vibrance and saturation slider and call it a day um, but then it was like, all right, let's, let's fine tune this. Let's feel how this image is supposed to feel like, what is the, the, the vibe that I have in my head and how do I express that on the screen? And so with that, I was like, I was able to bridge the gap, um, 
from my very rudimentary entry-level gear to professional-level gear with my editing, and I took pride in that. And then when I finally upgraded to my pro-level gear, I had all that experience with editing to just take it to the next level. So I think too often people think it's the gear and they need to make that jump. And yeah, you know, I'm not going to argue that gear isn't important, but um, you know, I think you have to be ready to make that next step. Um, like I wasn't, I sh- no one should buy the Sony a7S III as their first video camera ever. Like, and then, and then shoot all auto, have no idea what shutter speed is, you know, like, like you have to know, have enough knowledge and then be like, all right, does this next gear purchase make sense for me and my journey, my creative journey? And I was at the point where I was like, all right, full frame camera makes sense. Yeah, no, I, uh, <laughs> I started on a stinking little Canon Rebel SL2, um, and it actually is not that bad, especially when you upload it to YouTube and, you know, compression happens and all that. But And that's where I, I started learning as well, especially when it comes to video, uh, lighting and audio are so much more important than video quality. Like if you know how to do lighting and audio, you're set. You could use, a, you could use your phone and make it look like an RE cinema camera if you know what you're doing, you know, <laughs> like, like lighting and audio are so important. And I think to honestly, the biggest upgrade to my YouTube channel was buying a light that was the so huge. That was an astronomical upgrade. And it was only like 200 bucks. And I'm like, why did I not do this earlier? So, so what light did you, did you upgrade to then? I bought the Godox SL60W. This was like the Aperture 120D super budget edition. And it was like 130 bucks. And I was... <laughs> Like, you know, that's what I could afford. And everyone's like, oh, the fan noise, oh, the green tint. And I'm like, "Ah, who cares? This is YouTube. Like, I'm not shooting the next Hollywood movie with this. I just need something to light me. And for the end, like on my mic placement, you're never hearing the fan. Like, I, I never understood why these people were complaining so much. Like that light allowed me to do so much more in terms of my content. And so I actually, when I moved to Hong Kong, (laughs) when I realized I was staying longer than four weeks, I picked another one up here in Hong Kong and it's just a lifesaver, you know, like it's, it's a great little light. It's super affordable. Um, but now that there are more, Dude, I, I love that light. Yeah. It's freaking awesome. Like people don't understand how good this light is. And it's funny too, because like people see people who aren't in the creative industry, they're like, Oh my God, $130 for a light. Are you kidding me? And I'm like, <laughs> When you're dropping four grand on a camera, yeah. 130 bucks is nothing. <laughs> Considering that most lights that it competes with are much more than yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Is like the value proposition is like it's competing with $700 lights, and that's mind blowing. Now the Aperture has come out with their Amaran lights um, that are in the 200 to 300 range. That's a different story, and I'm very excited for those. But you know, you love seeing that good tech is coming down in price and affordable tech is getting really good and it's you're not like sacrificing a ton for that budget option which i really like right right um so you mentioned that you are now shooting on the a7s3 mm-hmm. how's that going oh it's 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 a dream come true this thing is like everything i ever wanted to be the only thing i really wanted in this camera that they didn't put in and i understand why was um the electronic nd filter i think that would have been the 
the oh the cherry on top but i understand at that price point in that body you know they have to put some features in their cinema line and i'm like all right you know you're not canon you're not crippling this beyond compare it's like i get it <laughs> but you know you're getting you're practically getting a cinema camera in a, in a mirrorless body and it's mm-hmm. amazing so i have not had the chance to shoot on one of those yet um so i kind of have two like my what i do for employment is kind of split up Mm -hmm. um but what part of what i do is i actually work for a media company uh part of their as part of their production team Mm -hmm. and we're talking about you know possibly getting a few of those cameras so Mm -hmm. i am excited about that Mm -hmm. but actually what we uh what we do have is the fx9 which is Mm -hmm. you know one of sony's cinema Mm -hmm. cinema cameras which is awesome and i love that and i love the um internal NDs that it does have but uh it's kind of cool though too because i think sony has been able to see not to get on too much of a tangent here but i think sony has seen kind of what canon has done yeah in terms of you know really almost neglecting oh for sure their prosumer yeah if that's what you want to call it market yeah and uh yeah no i was so stoked when the s3 came out and i was like Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. all of these rumors are actually true. Like this is the I know camera to end all cameras. <laughs> exactly. And the the funny thing was, right, is because apparently Sony uh had initially wanted to bring this out in like 2018, 2019, and all of the people who were beta testing their initial S3 design was like this is not good enough. It doesn't compete with what's already out on the market and what is rumored to be coming out soon. Like you can't, you know, Sony, I I love Sony because they're always on the bleeding edge, right? I think that was their biggest advantage. And I'm a little bit sad to see that they're kind of resting on their laurels right now. They're still pushing the envelope, but they're not pushing it as much as when they were hungrier in third spot behind Canon and Nikon. And now that they have that top spot, they're kind of relaxing a little bit. Um, I'm sure we're going to see a lot of innovation in the a7 4 and the a9 III, but, um, yeah. you know, it was... Well, what do you... So what do you mean by that, though, um, resting on their laurels a bit? Like, how? Uh, give me an example Well, I of think that. for the, the lack of 10-bit video for so long was such a cripple, and, and a lot of people weren't happy with that. And when the a7R 4 came out and it had no new video features, I was like, ooh, that's, that's not it, chief. Like... 64 megapixels like i get it's a photo camera video isn't the the hot spot like but i remember when the r3 came out and the fact that you had full frame 4k and full frame 120p that was mind-blowing and they hadn't done anything since then and so the s3 came out and it was pretty much everything i was low-key kind of hoping for like 6k i think that would have been nice but i get that uh with the low light keeping it 4k it was safe and the thing, you know, for, for YouTube, you don't really need anything higher than 4K. 6K would be nice, but these 4K files are already massive. So <laughs> um, it's... Yeah, I was going to ask you, how does your computer handle that? Yeah, it handles it decently well. But I'm actually very much looking forward to the M1X or M2 or whatever Apple is going to call them, the next iteration of the M1 chip Max, because they have an H.265 acceleration chip on board which means that your H.265 is going to play back like butter, which means you're going to get the same or better video quality with half the compression. So your file sizes are going to be tiny, but you're going to have the same amount of flexibility, and it's awesome. Yeah, that's 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 actually so huge. Because um, So I, I recently made the transition actually over to PC World. Um, I sold my MacBook Pro and 
spent, you know, all the money basically on PC parts and all that. So uh, my computer, thankfully, does pretty well with all sorts of different uh, video files, but still uh, that stinking H.265, man. Yeah. Um, I don't know these, what it is about it. These, it's just so hard on modern day computers um, because like people see that it's half the file size and they're like, oh, that's great. And they shoot on it and they realize I can't edit it at all. And it's like, well, this is not really an, a viable option right now. Like I'm glad they have it on the cameras for future proof when the, the computers get good enough, but it's not a viable option. And no one really accepts H.265. Like YouTube doesn't accept H.265. So you always have to export H.264 anyway. Um, so it didn't doesn't really make sense. But now with Apple's M1 chips, it could start to make sense. And I'm very excited for that. Yeah, no, that's that. Yeah, I've been watching a ton of videos on the new, um, you know, Apple processors. And uh, mm -hmm. dude, I it's like <laughs> I'm almost like, do I sell my PC now and go back? <laughs> that's but, the thing. It's like it's so well, you can wait for my Apple M1X or whatever review of the upcoming 16 inch when that comes out, because I'm definitely going to be jumping on that train. Um but it, yeah, like it seems that Apple with this switch is just taking like a gener generational leap over the competition. And it's crazy to see that. It makes so much so much sense, too, because I mean, why mm -hmm. why put another company's product in your machine if you can just do it better yourself? Exactly. That's the thing. And that's why people are wondering why it took them so long to do that, because Intel has been dropping the ball for years now, like ever since like 2013, when they're like, hey, our TikTok method doesn't work anymore. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's not every six months we're innovating and making it smaller. It's like every three years now. Uh, so Apple was like, all right. And then that has overheating problems and all this. And then it's just like, oh, it's a, it's a whole thing. And we already know that the iPad and iPhone processors were blazing fast, way ahead of anything else on the market. So we're just like, why haven't they done this yet? Like this seems like a win, win, win. And now we're finally starting to see the fruits of those labors. Yeah, totally. And, uh, kind of have a side question, but it all makes all relates. Are you a gamer at all, Mark? I, I I would consider myself a casual gamer. I think back in the day, I would consider myself a huge gamer. I could sit down and play to six to eight hours nonstop. These days, it's more I only play if it's a really, really good game or if I'm playing socially with friends. Mm -hmm. Are you playing anything kind of currently right now? Well, in my current setup in Hong Kong, uh, the Wi-Fi is not good enough for online gaming, really? and I don't have access to any consoles, so I've actually been killing it at Mario Kart Wii. Hey, so let's go, that dude. Is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's been the go-to. Hey, the console still works after 12 years, so nice, nice. I've been loving that retro gaming experience. Yeah. Um, the reason I ask is because I've uh, seen a lot of people who, like on the, the, the Mac Mini, I believe is what they're calling mm. it, uh, it is like surprisingly doing very well at gaming too, which Mac has notoriously been, you know, horrible yeah, at. So. That's, that's the thing. And I think like gaming is great, but I still don't think anyone is going to be picking up a Mac for gaming. Like the, the thing is that the support isn't there, right? No AAA game is making a Mac version. Um, you have all these indie games that run great, like Fortnite and whatnot is surprisingly good, but like no one is buying a Mac for gaming. If you want to do gaming, you're still buying a high-end PC. Yeah, true. Very true. Um, so kind of switching gears up here, man, um, as, I, as we wrap this thing up, um, one of the notes that I kind of made about you and briefly touched on it earlier is just the passion that you bring on camera. Um, I, I really, and I, you know, I don't say this about a lot of people, but, uh, 
I, I really feel your um, genuineness and your passion when I see your videos. And I think that, yeah, no, absolutely, man. And I think that is rare. And it's something that I even myself, I'm, I'm personally trying to work on and kind of settle in that comfort zone and whatnot. Um, what would you, if you have any kind of advice or uh, coaching, if you will, you, I mean, not necessarily, you don't have to get too deep into it, but what, what would you say to somebody who is maybe thinking of starting a YouTube channel this year and isn't very comfortable in front of the camera? What, you know, what would you say to somebody like that? Well, I actually have a whole video on this because I realized at the beginning of the pandemic, everyone wanted to start a YouTube channel and a lot of my friends were asking me the same questions over and over. So I just made a whole video answering everyone's questions. But I think to, to dial it down into some good advice, especially the second part you said, um, not good on camera, then don't, then don't go on camera. Um, find something you're comfortable with. You know, like look at these top gaming channels. You don't see the face cam in a lot of them you know do something that you are comfortable with if you just want to be a photography channel where you're talking to the mic and you don't have a face that's fine and then if you eventually get more comfortable and you want to put your face go for it i think the biggest thing is just being excited about what you're doing and you know everyone no one is is comfortable in front of the camera this is this is a skill like the the greatest fear in the human society is public speaking and this is like, this is above all other fears. And it's in literally an innate human trait to be afraid of putting yourself out there for uh, a large audience to see. And we're, we're not meant for that kind of experience. But, you know, that's the beauty of YouTube, right? Like you're talking to a camera and you don't need to think that hundreds of thousands of people are going to see this. You're just talking to yourself, really, in a small room. <laughs> so I think viewing it that way and realizing, especially for me, I think, is that um, at the beginning as well, that no one is going to be listening to this, right? No one cares. And when you just do it to have fun and you just put it out there and expect no one to watch it, you, you have no hopes for it, right? And you're just like super comfortable and you're just having a good time and i think again just find something you're excited about that you genuinely that you would be doing if youtube didn't exist you know like i i would be like i constantly nerd out with my friends over the newest tech and now i just get to do it on camera <laughs> like I, I view the camera as a friend that i'd be nerding out with and i think that's a, that's a super helpful thing for me um do you so obviously i can tell that you are a natural speaker mm. and um there are certain certain, I guess, advantages of that. But even still, do you find it or have you found it, you know, maybe earlier in your YouTube journey? Did you ever find it kind of difficult to uh, be yourself and not necessarily try to pretend to be some somebody else that you might have watched? You know, I think it was never really being about someone else. Like I said, with the, the vlogs, maybe like a like influence from Casey Neistat and whatnot. But I think for me, it was just allowing my whole self to be on camera instead of just YouTube Mark, you know? And I think a lot of people forget that. Like, they have to turn this personality on for the camera. And I was definitely doing that at the very beginning. It's like, you you need to get hyped up. You get that coffee. You, you know, you like, you no, no one wants to watch a depressed person on camera, right? You want to bring the energy. <laughs> right. um, and so, you know, you, you definitely have to put yourself in that mindset that you are on camera and whatnot but now like i've been doing it so long and you do it so consistently it just becomes natural and you let your more 
uh, natural personality show and your, your intonation and whatnot, you just get more comfortable. And that just comes with practice. You could say that about anything in life, right? Like no one is going to be uh, as, as smooth as Frank Sinatra the first time they go up to the mic, you know, like that takes experience, that takes practice. And yes, some people are better at public speaking than others, but you know, no one is, is good. And I, one of the things that I, I love, I was in my radio class with my professor and someone asked him, like, how do you get over the butterflies? And he said something that will stick with me my entire life. He was like, you never get over the butterflies. The day you get over the butterflies that you don't have the butterflies in your stomach is the day you should quit because it's no longer interesting. And I loved that. And he's like, you know, like it just it hit me so hard. And I was like, yes, you know, like even professionals that have been doing this for 50 years are like, I still get butterflies every time I walk in the booth, you know, like I think that's cool. So you're not alone. The pros who have been doing it for forever still are nervous. Uh, they just have the, the ability to calm those nerves and be themselves. Yeah. So one thing that I was kind of um, thinking about was, so for me, man, uh, Peter McKinnon, like, got me on YouTube. Mm. Um, before I watched his videos. Mm -hmm. YouTube, like I just wasn't very, I just wasn't very interested in the YouTube platform mm -hmm. or the app. I was like, ah, you know, it's, I don't know, like the whole classic cliche. Like, I think there's just like cat videos on there. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't really know that there were, that there was an entire world of mm -hmm. stuff that I was also interested in. Yeah. And, um, the reason I bring that up is because I think myself, much like probably many people who have ever watched one of his videos, uh, you almost think like, oh man, like that's, that's it. That's the recipe. I've got to, I've got to follow his, uh, his path, his, his pattern, you know? And dude, for the longest time, I was like, I need an intro. Like I need to figure out like what my mm. thing is that I say, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, gosh, I, I have to imagine there are other people out there who feel the same way and get stressed out about mm -hmm. that stuff and just create mm -hmm. all these like massive roadblocks for them to even just mm -hmm. press record you know yeah and and anyway i i and no, so I totally agree with that. uh for you when i watch when i watch your your videos man i just i mean you never know what's going on behind the scenes but what the product ends up being man i just i totally admire it and uh i i definitely i definitely think you've got big things in front of you which is very very exciting let me ask you kind of wrap this thing up i know you still consider yourself very early, early on in your uh, YouTube career, YouTube journey. Um, but given even even so, are there any like mistakes that you can recall and not necessarily regrets, but just mistakes or things that have you it, or had you uh, have the opportunity to do it over again? You would change it up or do something differently or um, are you pretty, pretty content on how everything has gone this far? I would 100 percent have bought. A better mic and light right off the bat if I knew, knew how much uh, of an impact that would have like I said like I was using window light for like a good year and a half or two years I think and you know I was at the mercy of the Sun and my window and having to shoot at a specific time to get a consistent lighting and if there were clouds or whatever thankfully in Arizona not that many clouds so my lighting didn't change that much but when like if it was a gloomy day and I was super ex super excited to, to shoot I couldn't because my lighting was off and I'm like well can't shoot today so yeah definitely invest in good audio and good lighting from the get-go and that will make all the difference um, I think that's probably the biggest thing I would do different um, I don't know 
I think, yeah, like I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy with how things go. You know, like we're always embarrassed of the first videos and whatnot, but you look at that and you're like, I've improved so much. And I think that's great. And I think too often people keep comparing themselves to other people and it's like, oh, I'm not where I'm at, but everyone's on their own journey. You know, like you might be carrying, comparing your chapter one to their chapter a hundred. And, you know, like by the time you hit your chapter a hundred, you might be miles ahead of where they were, but you can't be comparing to someone who's already, you know, 75% of the way on their journey to your first day, you know? So I think it's important to just keep doing you and allow that growth to happen at a natural rate. And the only person you should be comparing yourself to is your previous self. So like, look at your old videos and just be like, man, I've, I've come a long way. I'm proud of how far I've come and know that in a year or two, you're going to be looking back at Mm. your current self and be saying the same thing. Dude, that is so good. I, I, I had to write that down. Your chapter one might be there. Chapter 100. That's uh, that's good advice right there, man. That's that's a tweet, actually, if I if I don't say so myself. Right. <laughs> um, dude, last question for you, man. Uh, where do where do you live? Not like your exact address, but in in uh, in Arizona, what, what part? So I'm in this little town um, south west of Phoenix um, called Levine. Um, but yeah, it's just. I just when when people ask, I just say Phoenix. It's close enough. Plus, I was in downtown Phoenix for most of my college career. So got it. Phoenix. <laughs> nice, man. Well, so uh, my wife and I, we live up in Washington state mm. and uh, we are very, very seriously considering moving down mm. um, possibly to Arizona, okay. maybe like southern Utah, okay. that kind of general area over there. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I just like I love the weather down there. And oh, uh, yeah. I think we're we're getting a little tired of the snow up here, man. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. I feel that. Yeah, I'm never. I'm not one for cold, but you know, that's the, the, one of the reasons why I love that we moved away from Canada. But more and more, I'm just thinking of moving back to Canada because I don't see myself living in the U.S. much longer. <laughs> yeah, dude, I uh, I envy that 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 ability just to get up there, man. That's cool. Well, I mean, if it ever if it ever happens, bro, and. Uh, we're we're in the states at the same time specifically maybe arizona or something like that i'd love to actually get together and meet you in person oh for sure i would love that that's that's the best thing about this you get to make a new friend and it's great dude i uh seriously could not cannot thank you enough mark for for taking the time to thank you chat with somebody you've never met before um Oh, this is lovely. You, you, it. you did a great interview. I appreciate that. Oh man, cool. Well, I I appreciate that as well. And uh man, seriously, I'm wishing you nothing but the best this year and even beyond that. Um I'm so so happy that I stumbled across your channel looking up I am too. City yeah. Four, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> profiles, man. All because of that. I got to make a new friend. It's great. Yeah. Right on, man. Well, uh, take care. Have have an awesome time and uh, look forward to speaking with you again sometime, man. Yeah, I look forward to it. Have a great one. And that is a wrap on the first ever episode of the Manual Focus podcast. Want to give a huge shout out and thanks to Mark Steiner for agreeing to be on a podcast with somebody he has literally never met before or probably heard of. <laughs> so go and make sure you check out all of his social accounts. I'm pretty sure everything is just Mark Steiner, but I'll leave uh, links down in the description of the episode. And also, guys, if you enjoyed today's episode, even the slightest bit, and you made it this far to the very end, 
Uh, first of all, thank you. Seriously, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for all your just incredible patience and support of what I'm doing over here. And if I could ask you to do one more thing, that would just be to leave a review. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, uh, just let me know what you thought. Leave a comment, rate it, hopefully give it a five-star review. Uh, that seriously helps out the whole algorithm thing so much to, to getting this out to more listeners. But thank you guys, really appreciate it. And I will see you all in the next episode.